Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Plastics Podcast, a show where three Americans try to figure out what Neymar would look like in a Newcastle shirt. You're joined by Lester Pundit, Maddie Gaylor. Hey. Connoisseur on all things Arsenal, Blair Lacrosse. Hey. And myself, Jacob Burke. Arteta's tricky kids turn a tailspin season into a Champions League qualifying one with a win way at Villa. Leicester, bangers only city, bring three home hosting Brentford, and Tottenham showcase their silky offensive side against West Ham. This, the United States men's team heading into the final international break, and some title race discussion helped bring you into the spring season. Good riddance, daylight savings. How is everyone's brackets? I don't want to talk about my bracket. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what my paper bracket, how it's doing. My virtual bracket that's doing the calculations automatically is currently at 66%, which seems pretty bad. And so you're better than 66% of people that made brackets. That's, that's pretty decent. Um, I'm at 20%, which is pretty bad. Maddie, what was your last calculation? The last time I looked, I yeah. was at a solid 2%. Oof. <laughs> Not all of us doing as well as we thought we might, but that's a-okay. Um, you guys, I would say, are very adventurous bracket makers, though. <laughs> you really like to lean into the possibilities of the improbability, I, I should say. That would be flattering if I made that bracket with that in mind. <laughs> I thought I was making reasonable, rational calls. Maybe a, well, well, the point is is to not get bullish on Murray State. I think that's the lesson we all learned here. How could you not, though? You know, <laughs> It looked so hot. Um, so hot right now. Yeah, it's been a week of basketball. It's been a week of college basketball here at the Plastics household. Uh, lots and lots of basketball. So much basketball. We were at three TV living room for yes. about 48 hours. Uh, and we don't do basketball podcasts. So uh, we, we, we had to switch gears here this morning and uh, yesterday to uh, get back into the Premier League mindset because a lot happened. A lot's been going on. And you know what? The kind of commitment this podcast brings you is that we're recording this during El Clasico. We're not watching the game. That's true. Good luck, Aubameyang. I love you. We'll finish about right when they're finishing. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Perfect timing. Uh, let's just jump into it, guys. Aston Villa 0-1 Arsenal. Blair, uh, you, you're the Arsenal fan, and you're the one wearing the cool jersey right now. Oh, yes. Oh, wow, look at that. <laughs> Uh, our Aston Villa hosted Arsenal, hoping to gain three points for a change in form. Arsenal aimed to cement their top four position ahead of Man U and Tottenham and West Ham. All three. It's been a real contested race for the top four this season. You could say we're cementing our top four position ahead of teams like Burnley, Norwich, That's, Watford. I'm, I mean, technically, you know. <laughs> A lot of teams were cementing their top four lead against teams like Nottingham Forest. That's right. West Brom. Go all the way down to the pyramid. Top four finish against um, Cambridge United. Stoke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That one Sunday night league that sometimes plays, but they bring beers into the net. uh, The the beer league. I don't even know. 
I don't even know if, I mean, I'm sure it does happen, but you know, you see beer leagues in like hockey, mostly in the States. And that kind of makes sense to me in my head because you're on ice and it's easier to just skate around. But running on a grass field while drinking beers sounds like a recipe for disaster. Do you think ice skating with beer in your system would be easier? Uh, easier than running? Yeah, I think so. But isn't skating just like running on ice? Yeah, but it's running like more The ice more is doing the work for you. You're, 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 you have a more efficient usage of energy, I think, because you're sliding. Okay. Okay. You're just using your I'm not core saying, to like, stop you. Look, I'm saying either way with my digestive system, it would be bad. Yeah, yeah. Like same. horrible. Same. But I, I just couldn't imagine drinking a beer and then go running. I played know. in a beer league, but I was a younger yeah, like I how, was a younger woman uh, then. Did you had a beer and then you played soccer? Yeah. How like what do you do? Yeah, that would be miserable. It sounds like it'd be miserable. Okay, but first of all, the beer that we had was like uh, Miller Lite. Only one more calorie than Miller Lite <laughs> <Club> Ultra. <laughs> Miller Lite are working. <laughs> They're working. The all day IPAs. Those are pretty what? light. What? what? No. Yeah. No, that's no. Not, that's not a justification. You ran an all day IPA. <laughs> that's in your insane. Stomach? The worst. The only one thing that's worse is like a porter. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. We just have some Guinness <laughs> and then we go play ninety. It's fine. The people that would drink the most would be the goalies, though, because they didn't have yeah. to move, and you know, Here's you had the, to be a little bit tipsy to play against um, these wild adults. I, uh, my opinion in this case, the thing that's to do, like the only thing that's better is you take a shot. It's quicker, less, oh. less stuff. Oh, but then it like sinks into your stomach and your stomach's like, Hey, you shouldn't have done that. Not no, running. It's like, it's like you, you do, you do a shot and then you chase it with like a water. Right. So like you get, you get some <laughs> of that in there to tamper it down. And then I think that would work better. I just don't yeah. understand the point of shots. Ranking. Definitely make more sense yeah. to me. In this situation. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I'll let you have I mean, my body it feels alcohol and goes. What are you? What are you doing? We've gone over this. We know what we know. What we can do and what we can. Alcohol is not part of it anymore. So, yeah, we talked about this last quarter. No alcohol, <laughs> guys. Soccer happened, and we're not recording a podcast about the benefits of recreational drinking in a sports league. Um, we got to talk about Aston Villa and Arsenal. Uh, Blair, we were talking right after the game, and you said. This is one of those games that really showcased why uh, Arsenal deserve this top four position because they grinded out victory like this. Um, because you know you won't always get easy wins. You won't always see out a, you know a three nil or a you know a four two or something like that. And uh, you know get, you score a lot of goals and make a comfortable lead and look good while playing. Sometimes you got to grind out the one O's, and this is what they did. That's true. We've been doing that all season, really. There was a stretch there where we had some, you know, a, a series of pretty comfortable wins, but Arsenal have won a lot of games by a one goal margin this year. And I think, especially this week with the uh, fixture congestion the way it was, you know, it was um, three games in six days against some pretty tricky teams. So I was super happy to see us just finish and, and get the three points despite Nicola Pepe's best attempts at uh, conceding a late goal via one Philippe Coutinho. But hey, uh, can't complain. We did the job. Bern Leno made a nice save and we march onward. Okay, here's my question, my technical question to you, Blair. All right. Uh, Martin Odegaard, midfield superstar, uh, <laughs> yes. was marked out pretty effectively by Esteville this game. Uh, he really didn't have a chance to shine through because all of the space he had on the ball was closed down almost immediately, which really helped nullify Arsenal's offense. 
Uh, do you see this as a hint of what's to come from other teams defensively? Have Aston Villa given uh, a ghost of a blueprint for the future teams in the rest of the pr- season? I think this is definitely the plan. Like I think it was definitely the plan for for Liverpool too, was to sh- shut down the the right side of the field with Bukayo and and Martin. And I mean, I think for good reason. That's definitely where we have more of our attacking talent is on that side. And you know, uh, I think that's a, a, a pretty effective strategy. Like if if you're going to uh, game plan around uh, certain players in our side. Like it's going to be those two. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was as a wise choice. But I also think, like you know, looking at some of the uh, you know chances we had against against Liverpool, uh, less so in this game. I think Smith Rowe looked pretty good. But like our left side is much better this year than it was uh, last season, where it was a lot of Kieran Tierney sprinting down to the corner flag, then setting it across to nobody. So I think I think Smith Rowe, I think Martinelli, like if the switch is on and in there in space, like those are players that I feel pretty comfortable, um, you know, with the ball at their feet and I feel like they could do something. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Um, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to try to shut down Martin and Saka. I mean, Saka still got a goal, but um, came from a bit of a, a different situation than we normally create with, between the two. So, yeah, let's, uh, I want to break the goal down because it seems, I mean, it, it, you can see uh, it was cross in to the box, uh, something that Arsenal was trying to do really all game. Um, they were trying to get it down to the corner and then whip cross in to just slot one into goal. And uh, this one uh, rebounded a bit in the uh, in the box, then bounced out uh, and just kind of laid out for Saka. And then he took it home. And um, Martinez, I mean, Martinez didn't have the time to react because there were so many people in front. And it seems to me that's one of those goals that goes in, you know, five times out of ten. The other five either gets blocked or it goes wide or Martinez saves it. Um, so I, I don't know if this is uh, a good thing for Arsenal uh, necessarily because nothing much was created after that. Uh, Arsenal had a clear superior first half and Villa seemed to have a clear superior second half. So... Uh, are, are there any takeaways there? I know one of Arsenal's big issues was uh, a mentality when they go up, they tend to languish and uh, relax a bit. Yeah, so the way I read this game was, you know, we created some good chances. I mean, we talked about Martin being marked out, but we still made some nice moves down that right side. There was one in particular where Smith, it ended with Smith Rowe and, and Lacazette kind of running into each other in the box, but that was like a really nice development between them. I think once we got the goal, you know, it was a bit of a sit back mentality and like by like the 60th minute I made note, like the guys just look so tired. And I think like, that's why we talked about like, this was like a, a, the way we won was needed because I think they really were just going to have to grind out a defensive effort after going up. And, you know, it wasn't just going to be a kind of more of a relentless attacking performance from us. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's just kind of what we needed to do. Uh, Villa didn't get their first shot on target until, well, actually, it's the last shot, I believe, right? Yeah, it, it it took a long time to grow into this game. They produced zero XG in the first half. Um, I actually don't think they got a shot off in the first half. Yeah, so. that they their first shot was around the 60th minute. Yeah, their first shot was around the 60th minute, yeah. So, I mean, they weren't offering a lot, and I think we were just kind of happy to see if they could come up with anything, and, and they really didn't. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, that plan worked out in the end. And of course, when Rob Holding comes on, he looks like... 
like prime Maldini out there. So um, <laughs> it's amazing, man. That guy got hair plugs and he's just a totally different person now. It's really it's, a, it's amazing what a bit of confidence he'll do to you. Yeah. And he, he didn't even have it that bad. I mean, the hairline was receding, but he still had most of his hair. And he's like, nope, I'm going to nip this right in the bud. So <laughs> smart. Yeah. When you got money, you might as well spend it, right? We like that kind of initiative in our defenders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone needs to get on Lacazette's case now. <laughs> He's bold and beautiful. Lock his lock his no, bald head. I mean, let's let's make no let's make no uh, you know let, let's cut no corners. Lock his that looks good. He does. But, and frankly, it would look weird if he had hair. It would look weird. You get used to people being bald. You yeah. Know? It's like when Brian Erlacher got his hair back, and it's like, what what are you doing, man? You're famously bald. You know, like just <laughs> some people. The baldness is a trademark. It you really gotta, is. You got to own it. It's like Anthony Davis if, with the unibrow. Have you, uh, you ever seen old replays of uh, Barcelona games with Pep Guardiola in the midfield? No. So weird, dude. He's got hair. Yeah. <laughs> He's got hair and it's nice and it's like a full head of hair and it's just like, it makes no sense. Oh man. Yeah. It's like those early Vin Diesel movies too. You're like, dude, what, yeah, what are you It's doing? like, come, come on. on. <laughs> you have so much to grow. Yeah. Like, and, and you'll see too, sometimes when we score goals, like the players will rub black as that's head. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, th- I think that happened this game. Yeah, ben White will just kind of yeah. like caress him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering that. Um, Let's talk about uh, John McGinn for a second. Uh, John McGinn, uh, we've talked about him, uh, I think, more than the average Villa player this uh, podcast because he's a clear standout holding midfielder. Uh, And he had to hold the midfield this game because Arsenal was shutting down Aston Villa pretty effectively. And, uh, you know, Philip Coutinho, who is the the prime, uh, I guess, chess piece on offense for Villa, just couldn't get anything going because he wasn't able to do anything. So McGinn had to carry the game, and obviously uh, this is a bad sign for Villa. But uh, you know, I, I saw an article from the Times, uh, I think yesterday, that Calvin Phillips is a uh, has been listed as a primary transfer target for Aston Villa this season uh, from Leeds. All right, Jacob. The rumor price for Calvin Phillips was sixty million pounds. That's a lot of money. You think that's too much? Yeah, I think he's twenty four, right? Something like that. Something like that. He's been out of the out of this uh, the, the the side for Leeds for a good chunk of the season with an injury. Uh, good player. I mean, I would like to see Kelvin Phillips in my team, but sixty million pounds after the summer and winter windows that they've just had seems like a lot. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it would surprise me. It would surprise me. I think that would be a bit of an overpay. And yeah, I mean, Villa have been really ambitious, but. Man, they're, they're verging on the uh, the spending spree territory. So I don't okay, know. so I mean, Jemmigan's twenty seven. He's got a contract till twenty twenty five currently. Yeah, uh, he just signed it, I think, last December. Uh, so he he's he's there at Villa for a while, and I personally, I think he uh, can make that next jump up as more of a either a depth signing for a big team, or if you want to go to you know a smaller team like Tottenham, then he could probably make some differences there. Um, but whatever works for him, you know, he might be in a good spot right now. I'm, I'm only saying that because I, we really don't have much to talk about though, because they didn't do much. They I didn't guess, do much. I've got some, t- I've got some John McGinn, McGinn stats for you, Jacob. If okay. Like. Uh, right by the hair of my chinny John McGinn. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Uh, John McGinn is the do it all midfielder, Jacob. Cue highlight tape music. 
<laughs> He's second in the team in tackles plus interceptions. First for successful pressures. First for shot creating action. Second for shots. And second for XA on 3.4, which isn't great. But that's John McGinn for you. That, he, yeah. he really he really likes to, to, to get involved, uh, if you will. And yeah, I mean... You know he's a, a really important player for the side, and yeah, I, I do think I do think he he might be able to make a, a step. He he feels like a player who he won't be a sexy signing, but I think he can you know really do a good job for quote unquote like big side if uh, yeah, yeah, he so were to go that way. I because I think so. The reason I listen to Tottenham because I think they're in this cool spot where they have room to grow. Um, I think Arsenal's got this set dynamic, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think Arteta wants to tinker too much with it. Um, I mean, I obviously Arsenal have transfer targets this summer. But strikers, for, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think maybe like another center back is like just off the top of my head. I'm sure that you have a more extensive like a left list. eight. <laughs> okay, exactly. <laughs> so I think Tottenham are in a more evolutionary mold, and I know Conte loves a hardworking midfielder, and McGinn obviously meets that uh, quota. So I think like in like the like clearly. Tottenham is a step up from Villa in terms of the current um, Premier League dynamic, and I think he could make that. But um, as a, as is any cop out, time will tell. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, move on. I want to talk about one more thing with this game. Wait a second, Jacob. Yeah, hold up. Yeah, please hold. Your call is very important to us. <laughs> I gotta I gotta wrap up this conversation by saying that Arsenal this season have taken 18 points out of 18 from Leicester Wolves and Villa last season. We only took three from the same fixtures. Wow. Okay. That is quite, was it from Leicester? Well, let's be, let's be it clear. Was, Leicester <laughs> was much better last season than they are this season. However, Wolves are better this season than they are last season. Yes. Um, what was the third one? Uh, Leicester Wolves and Villa and Villa are much better this season than they were last season. Arsenal didn't allow Villa a shot until the 60th minute, according to John Muller. The third latest first shot in Premier League in the Premier League this season. It beats Arsenal's previous best 47th minute, holding an opponent shotless against Aston Villa uh, earlier this season. So yeah, so Aston Villa has some trouble getting starting off the the shooting spree. Yes, interesting. They do interesting. There might be something in there. Leicester two. A Brentford, a Wahun. Maddie, you keep saying one like that. A Wahun? <laughs> where, where did this come from? I've never heard you say this before. Brent, Leicester 2, Brentford 1. Oh. This is what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Leicester 2, Brentford 1. Uh, Maddie, a game to be defined by set pieces. Ah. Leicester, a team who has found their kryptonite in set pieces. Host Brentford, a team who finds their strength in it. Both teams hope to better their position on the table this game. Uh, Manny, I just want to hear your thoughts uh, currently on the game as it happened. Leicester won. They did. But it doesn't feel like it. Okay. There, there, there was a point after, the, after Leicester scored their second goal. Brendan Rodgers was smiling. He was joking. He was having a good time. And after the game, he wasn't. Brentford's second half was phenomenal for them. Not phenomenal. They beat us second half. They had the majority of the possession. They had the shots. They were pressing us. We made our defensive substitutions and everything crumbled as usual. 
Um, but you know what we didn't do? You know what we didn't do? Huh? <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. We did not let in a goal off of a freaking set piece. Ah. So suck it, haters. <laughs> Improvement. Ha-ha. Uh, yeah, so Brentford actually outshot Leicester this game. Uh, 15 shots to Leicester's 12. Yep. Um, with more shots on target as well. They had 11 shots in the box. They accrued a... Uh, uh, excuse me. They include a higher amount of XG, I believe. Um, they did. Yes. So well, both of our goals were like yeah. So, just so that, that, from I want to I want to break those down. So Lester took uh, one with Castagna. Mm-hmm. He took a shot from outside the eighteen with a nice curl uh, around um, Raya's uh, left hand side, and the second was Madison. James Madison. James Madison from Madison. a free kick. Yeah. Both of them just. Raya couldn't do anything about him. Castagna was uh, shocked, to say the least. Yeah. Everybody has said Castagna was shocked. Like, Teoman's, he was like, what, what the hell? Where did that come from, man? <laughs> and uh, the post-conference, Brendan Rogers was like, yeah, we were all kind of a little surprised. Uh, even Castagna, he didn't even think it was going to go in. Well, if Brendan Rogers is surprised, that, that you can be assured no one was expecting it. <laughs> I mean, it was his first game back from an injury. And he's the third player to score on their first game back from injury. Wow. In a row. I oh, think. yeah. Fofana did it. Yep. And who was the other one? Was it Barnes? No. No, uh, it was Jamie Verdi. Mm. Came back from injury, scored, and then got injured again. Fofana was out this game resting because he started uh, against Wren. A very, very tough Wren. So uh, I'm looking at I was looking at the shot map okay. from Leicester and from Brentford and now I'm looking at Leicester's schedule. Yeah, I'm seeing Leicester have to play Man United, mm-hmm. they have to play uh, Tottenham, and they still have to play uh, Aston Villa and Chelsea. And they have to they have to play the Chelsea match that's been postponed. Most of Leicester's shots came from outside the box, and all of Leicester's goals came from outside the box. Uh, Brentford was able to get into the box past uh, Lester's final line and get some close shots. Uh, what do you what do you consider this to be? Is this a case of uh, Lester needing to take more chances inside the box or is this a case of Lester needing to hold up and create less chances for the other team? This is a case of our defense is coming back. So I don't think a lot of them have played together. Where we didn't concede any set-piece goals, we didn't look all that put together. There was a lot of chaos on the back line, especially after substitutions were made. Our first substitutions, I believe Castagna was taken, or no, Johnny Evans was taken off, and Sumare was put on. And this was also Sumare's, he was doubtful for this game. It was Johnny Evans for Castagna in the 64th minute. And then Sumari came on later on in the 79th minute for Dewsbury Hall. There have been a lot of questions about Johnny Evans since he's been gone and since he's come back multiple times. Every time he comes back, it's kind of a questionable play from him. A lot of people are wondering if the injuries have taken its toll and if he will make it back to the form that we saw him at before. What are your thoughts on that? How can you even tell? He's barely played. 
seeing a question here that you've written, Maddie. Oh, boy. Spoilers. Uh, where was Lookman? Does he have a spot on this team after an exciting start on loan from Leipzig with all the players coming back from injury? You're going to have to fill me in on this Lookman guy. So, Adam, Adamola? Adamola Lookman is on loan from RB Leipzig. He has played for five clubs. He's 24. He's 24. He's played for five clubs and hasn't reached 50 appearances for any of them. He's been thrown around a lot, but he made a really exciting and explosive start with Leicester, scoring the most goals for a team he has ever. In 21 appearances for the Foxes, he scored five, three of which came in the Premier League, and uh, the other two came in Club Cups. He is on loan until June, but he plays left winger. So our midfield is pretty booked. And as you could see today, like some of our midfielders are, were even like filling in for defensive players. Uh, so he got his chance to really shine, but with everybody coming back, are they going to pay the money to have another midfielder? Yeah. When you've got Dewsbury Hall, who's lit up the midfield, you've got Harvey Barnes, who's coming back stronger than he was before. He, <laughs> he's stronger than he was before. Okay. Harvey Barnes, uh, reforged iron. Yeah. Okay. I <laughs> young, see. Young. So, so you're saying there's some midfield uh, questions for what unless they're going to look like next season. Yeah. And he, so you want to know whether or not Lookman's going to stay on. Do you think he goes back to Leipzig? I hope he doesn't. I really like the way he plays, and I really like his hustle. But I don't know if it's the signing that they're going to make this summer. Okay. Because my th I wrote a third question while we were sitting here, and it's for you guys. Oh, boy. What signings does Lester make in the summer window? Because you know that's for us. Yep, yep. We've 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 been injured all season. Yeah, I mean that's so. So how how are you supposed to know? I mean, as a team, you can't really prepare for a string of injuries like that. Yeah, it's it's not. It's just not reasonable to say all of our midfield and most of our defense is going to be injured. Yeah. So what uh, what Lester has done is they've looked forward with replacing some key uh, players that have uh, that are aging, uh, a la Jamie Vardy to Pats and Daka. Um, I think with the... Pats and Daka's been fine, but he's just been fine. He's been fine. So you're going to have to start thinking about what sorts of systems is Brendan Rodgers going to want to play with? Is, is he going to want to stick with the one he's got currently, which I don't think so, personally. Um, Lester's pretty porous right now. So... I, it really just depends on who's available. Leicester do make smart signings, but they don't really focus on signing uh, big players or even like 26 or 27-year-olds. What they focus on is youth development. They have a fantastic scouting network. So, I mean, it really depends on, I think, who they find, not who they sign. It's like, who, the, who, who what, what, are, do they find another diamond in the rough and do they bring them up? And that remains to be seen. That's something like that... Dewsbury Hall. Yeah, Dewsbury Hall is another one of them. Yeah, I mean, like, they, they get these players uh, from the middle of nowhere somehow, and they, they bring them up. I mean, you know, uh, the the big obvious examples are Riyad Mahrez and N'Golo Kante and uh, 
Ben Chilwell, they they find these guys and they say, hey, come work for us. We can develop you and then maybe we can sell you. They need a defender, probably. <laughs> Vestigard has not worked yeah, out. Yeah, we tried with Vestigard and it's just been blowing money down a... It was a pretty small LA. It was like 17 million pounds, I think. 19.9, I think. Okay. Dollars or pounds? Goats. Goats. <laughs> uh, it was a dowry. <laughs> Uh, Lester usually, uh, like Jacob said, buy well. The Vestergaard purchase seemed kind of like a shot from the hip in a, in reaction to some injury issues. And I think that's sort of uncharacteristic for Lester in general. They are pretty good planners. And yeah, I mean, Samare was a highly touted guy coming out of France. Um, so was Pat Sindaka, you know. So, um, you know, those guys, I think, will take maybe some time to get worked into the team. Um, I haven't seen much of Samari this season. Um, I remember seeing a couple of games with Daka and being fairly impressed. Um, so, you know, there again, it might just be some, you know, taking time to get used to the Premier League um, style of play. So, yeah, I mean, those those signings could be pretty good. For Lookman, I think maybe Barnes is probably just the trouble there. I mean, he seems to be holding down that left winger side. And if Lookman's trying to get minutes there, it might be difficult to get in over Barnes barring any kind of injury or, or fatigue situation. So yeah, uh, for me, you know, I think DACA seems like maybe the succession plan for Vardy, maybe it's Ian Acho. Um, I'm not really sure what the deal is with him this season. He's not gotten a ton of minutes, but he's getting more recently. So Vardy's been injured. Maybe they see Ian Acho as the successor, but yeah. Harvey Barnes, uh, based off of nothing concrete, only vibes, mm-hmm. strikes me as a Chelsea signing. Okay. Yeah. He's just got a vibe, and, I, I'm, and, I, vibe. and I'm not going to explain. Um, let's, I've got a stat for you folks. Oh boy. Uh, let's, let's play guess this number. Oh How about that? I love these games. How many shots this season do you think Timothy Castagna has? Two. Uh, probably like seven. One. <laughs> and that was going into today. Ah, oh, man. Okay, so, so, so now he's got two. He's, I was right. He's one for two. Yes. He's one for two. So to speak of surprise, yeah. I think is very warranted. <laughs> he's taken one shot. And it was beautiful. He's played 14.190s. He's taken one shot. And it wasn't on target. It wasn't on target. Um, so yeah, that was that. That's impressive, <laughs> guys. This is the 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 featured match for this episode. All right, Maddie. Tottenham three, West Ham one. West Ham one. Oh my gosh! Congratulations, <laughs> West Ham. <laughs> Please uh, the that. fight Please for the top that. four continues. <laughs> Two more contenders in Tottenham and West Ham meet at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to get another leg up and catch up to the mighty Arsenal. Conte and Moyes have both been dealing with underperforming squads going into this match, trying to break back into some form. The Spurs walk away with three points. Blair, are you quaking in your boots? <laughs> I'm scared, man. I'm scared. Yeah, this is oof. I'm, my my knees weak. My palms are sweaty. My boots are trembling. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, this starts off with an own goal from Kurt Zuma. 
it, it finishes with uh, Sun having a banger, Ben Rama somehow breaking his draught, and then I can't remember who scored the third. Sun. Was it Sun again? Because on a breakaway. On a breakaway, because uh, two of the West Ham defenders missed the ball. Kurzuma had a bit of a mare, Jacob. It was a tough day for him. He was getting booed every time he touched the ball. He kicked it in his own net. Really, kind of unfortunately, it was just went weird off his leg. And then he tried to go for the same exact ball that Craig Dawson was already in process of, of attempting to get on and left Sun all the space in the world. It was a tough day. It was a tough day for the center backs for West Ham. And, you know, Spurs are pretty good at uh, making your center backs, you're forcing them into errors for sure. Watching Craig Dawson try to track Hungman Sun and Harry Kane runs in open space one-on-one was rather frightening. Yes, the interplay, I'm just going to say, West Ham did not look up to it today. Um, no. They looked, they, they looked pretty bad on the back line. Uh, they were letting in a lot of passes. Kane was having a free range uh, in the midfield uh, and in the, in the front line, and him and Son were playing off each other fantastically all uh, the whole game. Kulisevsky, he's got he's got an engine on him. He can just go and go and go. I mean, it's really been uh, it was it was a, it was a, offensively speaking, in my opinion, a show stopping performance from the Spurs. It, they looked really good defensively. That's another issue. They they just look like while they they're doing really well on offense, that if you catch them out, that's it. Uh, you can pretty easily put one past you if you've got a nice press and a good uh, pacey offense. But I, I think that didn't matter today because they were missing uh, Jared Bowen. They had to sub off Antonio for whatever reason uh, to get on uh, Yarmolenko. That, uh, to me, struck a uh, note of confusion. I, I wasn't sure what Yarmolenko offered that Antonio didn't. So maybe they were looking for a better finisher. I know Antonio, the last kick of the game was a almost a goal for him. Yeah, yeah, he had a really nice moment, and then he literally got subbed off and walked off behind Spurs' goal. Yep. Like he walked past their post and, and out that way. Uh, rumor has it that uh, Antonio has been struggling a bit with his uh, hamstring. I think he may have had a bit of a, a nagging injury from their midweek game, so you know it could have been just a sort of preventative thing. Don't put too many minutes into his legs when he was already struggling with an ailment of some sort. Yarmolenko came on and was really just a non-factor, and that kind of felt like a capitulation at that point for West Ham because they really lost the focal point in Antonio, who was doing a good job of you know winning balls up the field and and getting allowing West Ham's attack to you know progress up the field because they were pretty largely stifled by by Tottenham, who do a great job of defending their midfield. So, yeah, Antonio was a big missing piece for them for a large chunk of this game. I want to use Tottenham, uh, and I guess West Ham, but to them a lesser extent as a, 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 a transition point to talk about what the top four currently sits at. Um, Arsenal have fourth place currently. They are uh, have a pretty healthy lead into uh, over Manchester United and Tottenham. However, uh, I'm looking at their fixtures here, who they have to play, and they have the harder of the three. Uh, Arsenal have to face Chelsea, Man United, West Ham, and Tottenham still. Tottenham have Liverpool and Arsenal left among the, the bigger teams, and Man United have Liverpool, Arsenal, and Chelsea. Uh Blair, if you could, for a moment, take your Arsenal hat off. Mm-hmm. Sure. Who here 
do you think has the best chance of finishing the season in fourth place or maybe even third place, but let's just say fourth place. So I think the, the tougher games are obviously uh, uh, in, on the horizon for, for Arsenal. And yeah, I mean, I think that, I think the, the numbers start to, to change a lot. I mean, looking at projections and whatnot, uh, as soon as, you know, we start dropping points. So I think it's, it's really a razor margin at this point. Um, I don't take much solace in 538 projections really, but um, they're fun to look at sometimes. <laughs> they I, are comforting at some points. Arsenal sit on 54 points. 538 is saying that we're going to need around 70, 71 points to get fourth. Looking at our schedule, you know, it go it, it we we do have pretty tough fixtures on the horizon. I'm not particularly like scared of United these days. I'm not like even the way we're playing right now, really scared of Chelsea. Um, but I don't expect a lot of points um, from that match, but maybe a draw. And then Tottenham looks like a tough task. You know, they are good. They're good at home. Um, and typically how the North London Derby goes is the home team wins uh, or has better odds, at least. Um, just the nature of the rivalry. So, you know, I don't know if I expect us to show up there and get anything more than a draw. Um, I think I'd be happy with that. So, yeah, I mean, long story short, I think Spurs have a pretty nice run in and um, could rack up some points and really put the pressure on us. I don't really see Man U um, being a big factor for top four to quite honestly, they're just too inconsistent. And I was feeling the same way before about Tottenham who, when they were winning, losing, winning, losing, and seemingly destroying Antonio Conte's heart and soul. Um, I think United just aren't consistent enough these days to uh, pull it out. They're already like they, um, between Spurs and Arsenal, they each have a game or two games in hand on United. So I don't know. I just, I think they're too far behind in the race and uh, they don't really make a factor. So two, two horse race. Um, it might come down to the North London, London Derby. That'll be a, obviously just a massive, massive game. Uh, is there a date set? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. And a lot of, uh, a lot of fans are dreading when it might happen because it could be like a midweek between squeeze between like United and Chelsea, for example. So like, yeah. don't obviously don't want that, but you know, we still have the game in hand. We've got three point advantage. Um, so, you know, I mean, we really don't need to take like maximum points or even a majority of the points from those three tough fixtures we have. We just have to keep beating the teams that we've been beating all year. And I think we can still get to fourth. So I suppose the uh, silver lining for Arsenal right now is that they, this is, they're in the driver's seat. Yes. So they can just, as long as they consistently perform and get the points, uh, you know, where they need to, then they will remain fourth. Um, and that's, that's cruising. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Um, I know Conte is a eternal taskmaster and he will be driving Tottenham to try to finish fourth. Uh, and I, I mean, it's not, it's not impossible. Conte has done some stuff. So I, I certainly wouldn't feel fantastic. Even if I was say Chelsea, who is inching lower and lower with each passing week and, uh, in, uh, relevance to third, I mean, uh, fourth and fifth. So pretty, pretty, I mean, with nine, 10 games left in the season, this is starting to look closer and closer and closer. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And I mean, if you look at, you know, 
the the run that Spurs have had had with uh with Nuno early on in the season. I mean, they things look really dire there. The fact that they're you know competing for fourth place, I think, is a testament to what Conte's done. I mean, he the, their numbers right now are like really solid. I think they're like solidly fourth place um, in underlyings, and Arsenal just kind of have the benefit of obviously improving. I mean, we're much better this season, but um, have the benefit of kind of having a I guess a, a leg up, a head start, and, and being able to start accruing points and and playing some better soccer than Tottenham had. So. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what it's coming down to at this point. I mean Conte, it, he's a world class manager for a reason. And he's showing it at Tottenham. So, yeah, I mean obviously you know earlier the narrative was that Conte couldn't can't win with these cats. Uh, yeah, and so uh, you know I think he suffered his tied his worst string of defeats uh, as a manager uh, head of a club uh, in his in his in his career I believe. So uh, obviously. I don't know. It really depends. It's in Tottenham's hands, and we were discussing how crazy it was that Harry Kane and uh, Son, the most successful Premier League attacking duo in its history, hasn't done anything um, together, or the team hasn't done anything with them in terms of silverware, in terms of legacy. So I don't know if it's uh, it's only a matter of time or if this will be a what-could-have-been scenario. Uh, so hard to say, too, with context. He's like such a capricious guy, you know? I mean, one day he's at the top of the mountain the other days he's at the the depths of uh despair you know so and like who knows i mean they if they finish the season outside of champions league yeah, yeah. Does, does he remain where does, does he, he remain does he demand out like it's right. hard to say here's a good question ralph ragnick is six month contract he is not coming back as a head coach he's going to take a front office role for united uh, he's going to fade into the background and, you know, try and pull the strings there. And so United will have to look for a manager. Uh, the obvious choices for United as um, as far as their their expe- expectations and their culture goes, uh, you really can only think of three people, um, all of which are in a job right now. Um, you've got uh, Mauricio Pochettino at PSG. Uh, he clearly, uh, publicly too, has had some disagreements with the team and the owners uh, and, and so uh, he might be looking to leave in the summer. You have Antonio Conte at Chelsea. Chelsea. Whew, uh, Antonio Conte at Tottenham. <laughs> uh, different time period. Uh, Antonio Conte at Tottenham, uh, you know, d- wishy-washy, one day happy, the next um, disgruntled. And then uh, Andrew Ten Hag at uh, Ajax, who has publicly said that he is fine and happy and he loves his job at Ajax. So, you know, who knows with him? Sure, sure, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Ajax are, Ajax are quite a historic club and to, to, to win there and to go to, to make Champions League runs like he uh, he has been doing is, is quite a testament to his uh, coaching abilities. So um, I think the take I heard currently in or on the internet was Conte will demand uh, transfer targets from Levy. Uh, for the season for Tottenham to you know he'll he'll be he'll be audacious with who he wants to sign he won't care what the financials are he just I need these people if you want me to win the league mm-hmm. if you don't sign them we will not win the league yeah and Levy will hypothetically make a non-committal not sign anyone by that time uh, United will have signed Pochettino and Conte will have left a job while wanting to go to United. Uh, 
have left uh, and with no clear destination to go. That is the current fan fiction out there. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a lot of dominoes falling. Yes. And so uh, I posed the question to you, Blair, and to you, Maddie, if you'd like to answer is, uh, does this does this play out? Does Conte go in the summer? Um, I know Levy is uh, famously someone who is a stickler for finances. So uh, I, I genuinely don't know if he'll want to sign anyone even after signing Kulisevsky and Ben Tecker. Yeah, I mean, they, they spent a good amount of money in January. Tottenham are a rich club. Uh, you know, Levy's got a lot of money. So I think if, if, if I'm a Tottenham fan and I'm looking at how we're playing right now, I think, man, a couple more pieces and we might really be onto something here. So, yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a set front, front, yeah. front line. And Conte, I mean, like rightfully demanding a couple of players uh, to set them over the top. I mean, they really could be onto something. And I, I don't take any pleasure in saying that, but I think it's true because, I mean, just, just watch them play. So, yeah, I mean, if Conte doesn't get that, if they go into the season next year with, you know, largely unchanged, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think you if you hire him, you try to placate him with two signings in January that were good signings and have been good players walked into the team. You know, I just don't think that'll be enough. So they'll have to pay to keep him around basically. And yeah. if they don't, there are certainly some really rich clubs out there that'll be looking at, you know, making a new manager hiring hire this summer, most likely. So yeah, I think it's, it's a tricky situation for Spurs. They're basically going to be backed into a corner of having to spend or losing the best thing they've had going in a few seasons now. They have to either spend for players or spend for a new manager. So, and buy him out of his, whatever contract he signed. Yeah, and like most likely the new club that he goes to would have to pay for the remaining the remainder of his contract. But I mean, what we know about Conte is he doesn't stick around places long. No. You know, he likes to go, he does his thing, um, and then he moves on. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. He's, he doesn't like to commit too long and he likes things to be very particular and things need to go very much his way, which is why I think him managing PSG would be absolutely hilarious, but also <laughs> could be kind of scary. They so. wouldn't meet the targets. Uh, I'm sorry. They, so like if Conte gave them a list, it wouldn't be like, a, oh, I don't know if we can afford that. It'd be like, well, yeah, but we could buy Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Like, and he, I guess he'd respond with, no, I don't want him. Yeah. And then they buy him anyway for the marketing. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> exactly. obviously, um, I don't know. I'm just looking at the lineup currently. And the most obvious choice to me is uh, Eric Deere has got to go. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I know he was initially signed and, uh, you know, speculatively he looked like a premier league player when he first arrived at Tottenham, but it's, it's, I think it's been clear from the outset. I, I just don't know. I don't see Deere as a starting center back for a top six club. The guy I don't like in their lineup is Doherty. I think he's a weak point for them as well. I think you just <laughs> yeah. don't like Doherty. Or no, you I don't, don't like, like Regalon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like, Tottenham showing positive signs, club, uh, and it is in their, uh, it, is, it is to their prerogative to improve this summer. Let's move on to some exciting stuff. Let's move on to the title race, the head-to-head -head fixture. It's the Liverpool Livers versus the Manchester City Men. Mm, who will win? <laughs> who will win? Uh, yeah, the City Sins and uh, the um, Liverpoolians. What do you call people from Liverpool? Scousers? No, but like not as a derogatory term. Uh, Northerners, maybe? That still sounds kind of derogatory in a sense. Uh, yeah. Poolians. Bumpkins. Oh, so yeah. who is from Liverpool? 
Okay, this is funny. Okay, they're often called scousers, but the official term formally are referred to as liver pudlians. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, where does the pud come from? So we, we've made cases for both. Uh, we did, we were, we were thinking about broad themes for the podcast and we wanted to, the title race to be it, which was why I was trying to frame it as like a fourth place fight or, um, you know, uh, uh, I know what your agenda is. Top Jacob. three f- fight for uh, the World Cup qualifying. So it's all been this. So we talk about the title race for first place, uh, two top performing teams, um, Trying, trying to enjoy the golden years here for me because, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before we regress to the mean. Liverpool enjoying probably one of the most successful seasons uh, in their history uh, it, with literal chances of having uh, four for four trophies this season. Champions League, the EFL Cup, which we've already won, the FA Cup and the Premier League. Manchester City trying to defend a title of which they've been dominant for about five years now, even though they... I think they've they're they would be four for five if they won this year. Just crazy numbers, and you know Pep having created a machine out of uh, you know a string of world class signings, um, arguably under one of the greatest tactical minds this generation. Jurgen Klopp, one of the best man managers in the game, uh, best teeth in the game outside of Bobby Firmino. Where do I start? So I want I, I had Maddie and Blair construct a, a case for Manchester City taking the title, and we will respond. I will respond with the case for Liverpool taking the title. So Blair, if you can take it away with your, um, if you can let the, uh, I, I have no legal terms. Let the defense go first, since Manchester City are defending the title. Um, yeah, I can try to do this. I kind of have to preface this. Like, it, this is poor form for argumentation. I wasn't in high school debate, and that's why I'm not as annoying these days. If you're in debate. <laughs> you, you, like, what did you call them? What do they call? Uh, it was called something stupid. Um, debate club? No, it was. Debaters? No, it was um, <laughs> forensics. Oh, really? Yeah, like that the was, forensics team. Yeah. They, they would, like, make speeches and stuff. Yeah, whatever, dude. Nerds. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, this is like this would not be taught in uh, you know if I was political science or whatever. If I was running for office, um, I think the case for Liverpool is stronger. <laughs> so whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Go, you can't let the audience just immediately know that you don't no, believe in your own case. I, I am going to do my best because okay. I think it was rather difficult um, looking into things to uh, come up with a case for it. So here, I'll try. My first point for City is this. Their remaining schedule is rather straightforward, I'll say. Their toughest remaining game is Liverpool. Big, big game, obviously. That one, to me, kind of decides what happens in the title race. Uh, It's a one-point gap right now, so obviously um, the range of outcomes that can happen will swing the title race um, bigly. So, yeah, that's a big one. And they're playing at home. Um, say what you will about the Eddie head, but at least they're not playing at Anfield, which I think is a difficult place to go to and try to get points from. So um, that I think is in their favor. Um, I think they have the favorable odds from 538 to win that game. Um, so, you know, that I think is a, a big, big point of contention there. Um, that's not to say that I think Liverpool don't have a chance um, because they do. So, yeah, that's the big remaining game in their schedule. 
what they have left of their nine games are against Burnley, who are relegation fodder, will be fighting for their lives. So they're going to get a tough test at Burnley, probably. But uh, Burnley, Wolves, Brighton, who are in a bad run of form right now. Watford, who are uh, dead and yeah, dead. Yeah. Uh, Leeds, <laughs> yeah. who have looked feisty as of late. Um, but I think... I still would obviously rate uh, City in that game. Newcastle, who also are uh, feisty, and then West Ham, who are possibly dead. They looked uh, today. What do you uh, mean dead? Kind of zombified. Okay. Tired. Okay. Leggy. You know, they just they look like they've, you know, are playing. They're playing a full run of fixtures with Europe and the Europa League yep. and coming back to the Premier League. They certainly looked at today against Tottenham. So that's you know if they keep keep going deeper into the Europa League, which right. I think West Ham at every intention of doing because this is, I mean, this is big for them um, to, to get a title or get a trophy and they could sneak into the Champions League um, through the Europa League. So there's a lot on the line there and I think they'll probably keep trying uh, at it. And then at the end of the season, they have Aston Villa who are dangerous but inconsistent. So that's yeah. their remaining schedule. It's pretty light on... Um, you know, tough fixtures. Yeah, I guess if Aston Villa is talking at like ninth place and they come against Man City at the end of the season, then three points won't really... Doesn't matter. Yeah. They're not going to be fighting for their lives to stay up. They're not fighting for Europe. So, yeah, I mean, what are they going to be playing for? It's a, a good a good question. A girl worth fighting for. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, what I shoe here and what a, a keen listener might say is, what about their Champions League fixtures? And that's true. They play Atletico Madrid, which is not an easy outing by any means. And Simeone's boys will be out there raring to go. So that's that's tough. That's tough. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll concede that. Right now, 538 has City and Liverpool virtually in a deadlock for their offensive and defensive ratings. They're both tied at uh, number one with 2.9. Um, as their offensive rating and their defensive ratings are separated by just one tenth of a point. City just edge it at 0.2. Uh, if you look at it, their XGD is slightly better by like 0.05 points. So it's like, you know, a pretty marginal difference, but they have conceded less goals this year than Liverpool. And like, I think what everyone's going to point to for Man City in the end is just the depth. They have a lot of rotational options. And, you know, I mean, like, it's just like that's that's where they kind of uh, make hay, I guess. Um, you know, looking at their their roster, their goal contributors, they just kind of come from everywhere. Um, and you know, I mean, they don't have fresh legs by any means. But if you look at players like um, you know Jack Relish or Gabriel Jesus, like um, these guys, like don't have a ton of minutes. You know, LK Gundogan, like. Foden, you know, they're all below 2000 minutes this year. So, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a, uh, I guess a point that they might be a little more fresh going later into the season. So I don't know. Um, that's kind of what I got for man city. What about you? For Liverpool? Oh, I've got, I've got things. I know you got numbers, man. Yeah. I got numbers. Let's look at the case for Liverpool. Um, ladies and gentlemen of the jury members of the court. Let's, Consider the facts. Because that's why we're here, isn't it? To look at the facts. Can I be the judge in this scenario? Sure. Cool. Because, I I mean, I have the board, so I guess I can just, like... Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. Okay. You may continue. Let's consider the facts. 
But before we consider the facts, what is the question? Uh, let's look at the stats. Uh, Liverpool are leading the league in shots on target per match. They are leading the league in big chances created. They have created 81 big chances so far this season. City have created the second most at 65. That is a large gap. And Liverpool look to be the clear uh, leaders in terms of offensive danger. They're one in goals per match. That makes sense. They're one in possession, one in the final third. They have a very high press, and it's effective. They've won it 214 times in the final third. That's better than Manchester. Dirty fouls are the strategy. City at 178. I get a rebuttal, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. Uh, You were saying uh, City have depth. I think Liverpool have uh, depth, too. (laughs) Uh, their their uh, goal scorers are coming from everyone in the squad this season. Uh, in terms of the top five scoring uh, members of the Premier League, Salah leads the league at 20. Yoda comes in at 13, tied with Son. Uh, Sadio Mane is coming in at 12, and Cristiano Ronaldo himself is fifth with 12, uh, tied with Mane, I suppose. Um, three of the five, obviously, are Liverpool players, part of what I now term as the Furious Five. I wasn't going to use the Fab Five because that's already been taken. Um, so the, the Furious Five, and I think that's a lot of offensive depth. We have uh, Luis Diaz now, uh, Diego Jota as the new signings, and then the traditional big front three, uh, Bobby Firmino, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah. Uh, now you have a uh, deeper midfield, Thiago Alcantara. Uh, he, uh, you know, Spanish maestro, obviously. Everyone loves him. Everyone loves him. Uh, Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, the young boys uh, that are fighting for a place. Uh, Fabinho, the traditional... Uh, Stolid center defensive midfielder, Jordan Henderson, you know, the work king, the captain, the leader, James Milner, the veteran himself. I think uh, the most capped player in the Premier League currently uh, that's still playing, I should add. Um, who else can I think of? We've got we've got the depth boys. We've got uh, Lord Divock Origi, and then we've got Takumi Minamino. Other has Minamino played a game in the Premier League? He's this a year? cup specialist okay. player. He's okay. a cup specialist. Sorry, I won't interrupt anymore. <laughs> He's there to continue the four trophy season. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let me think of other midfielders. Um, young boy Tyler Morton, uh, Cade Gordon. Uh, those are academy products. They still look great. Let's look at the the back line. Let's look at obviously the fullbacks, top assisters in the Premier League this season. Trent Alexander Arnold, eleven assists. Andy Robertson, ten assists. They are one and two in terms of assist leaders this season. You know who's three? Yeah, I mean I know you know because you're looking at it. <laughs> Say it. Say his name. No. <laughs> Mohamed Salah, number three at 10. And then we've got uh, Balda Baldba at nine and Jared Bowen at eight. So we've got great assist numbers. Uh, other fullbacks include uh, the rare use case of Joe Gomez at right back. He can also play center back, by the way, ladies. And we've also got Konstantin Simikas, the, the Greek god himself, at left back. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, Joel Matip, and then uh, Kanade, a new resigning. Very, uh, a wide range of people for a wide, wide range of situations and games. Uh, the goals are coming from everywhere. We don't have the possession or passing numbers City does, but that's only numbers that speak to a system of play. Our play hits hard and it hits fast. Klopp's play works, provided that LFC don't get hit with injuries. And if refs actually call fouls against City, the second part remains to be seen. 
The 2019-2020 title-winning season for Liverpool FC uh, included 6.1 shots on target per match. The team now currently has 7.2 shots on target per match. It's a full shot extra. We're performing at a higher rate. We are now more clinical. 65 big chances missed that season. We are currently sitting at 53. We are on our way to beating big chances created. We're only six behind last season with nine matches to go. This squad, I believe, is better than our title-winning squad. The prosecution rests. Okay. Would you like to call any witnesses? Uh, yeah, I'd love to call Jurgen Klopp just to sit down and talk with him. But Okay, I'll see what I can do. Okay. Right. So yeah, you got, I think does, is that how it works in court? You get a rebuttal? I don't know. I guess I've never <laughs> been to court, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So those that's a, a very good statistical analysis, and you might notice that my analysis was largely missing stats, and that's because most of them favor Liverpool. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's why I think Liverpool have a good shot at it because they are, as Jacob said, probably the best team in Europe by the numbers, and yes, also better than the their previous title-winning team. I would agree with that. I was looking at City um, through the past few seasons to see, like, I, I saw your points in here when, when you were ty- uh, typing out, and you know, just the the leaders and assists and and goals, and. Um, outside of a few Raheem Sterling 20 goal seasons, they really don't have like top of the leaderboard goal scorers, um, at least recently. Obviously, Kevin De Bruyne has had some massive uh, outputs for assists in his season. So, you know, he's down there. But if you look at uh, how it's distributed um, in their squad this year, it's just kind of a little bit from everywhere. So, you know, it's just like Riyad Mahrez has got four. Ilkay Gundogan's got four. Cancelo has seven. You know, it's just like that's how it goes with them. They are less concentrated in their goals and their assistings this season. So between Sterling and Mahrez, they've got 10 goals. So they're just using those two players to match what Salah's doing. So I think they're just like kind of got more rotation and thus have less of the sort of high goals and assists this season. But like you said, I mean, they are creating less chances than Liverpool. I think part of that too, though, is kind of how City play games. Once they get their two-goal lead, they do the City thing, which is glide. They pass the ball 700 times yeah. and then they just don't like if they get if they can get a goal they right. open somebody up then they go for it but they're not really too bothered unless like you're like trying to uh hector them in some way so i think maybe that affects the numbers a bit but yeah i mean it, it's just it's just city kind of have this multifaceted attack with a lot of different players yeah they're like a small knife right in, yeah. in the hands of a trained assassin a trained uh hitman you know, they, they, they cut you a thousand times and eventually you bleed out and then they yeah. glide to a victory. Liverpool are an artillery cannon. Yes. And who would win in a fight? The artillery cannon, because it would, it would blow the, the assassin <laughs> up, clearly. <laughs> the assassin can't cut the artillery cannon. It's made of metal. True. What if the assassins are a million lions? <laughs> well, that uh, can, you, can you field a million lions? The answer is yes. The mascot for the Premier League is a lion, Blair. That's true. The English mascot is three lions. <laughs> yes. Sometimes people will Photoshop why, that why to don't... be the three Detroit lions, and I think it's funny. <laughs> Jacob, I have yeah. one bone of contention in particular, though. With with my it's arguments? Okay. Better than Manchester City, quote, dirty fouls are the strategy. Yes. Now, yes. I will concede that I don't like how Rodri does that. He, he it's does very it a lot. frustrating. Yes, he gets away with it too. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. He's like Casemiro. I would point you in the direction of one Fabinho. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. 
have you noticed how he plays soccer <laughs> efficiently he's very good at Direct. tactical fouling i will give him that but that is what he does he stops he breaks up play okay. he, he stops counters he, so let's also sadio mane in Sa- my opinion sadio dirtiest mane. player in the league sadio mane is the dirtiest player in the league yes the dirtiest yes oh, i don't know about that mm-hmm. he is okay um i do not like watching him play interesting yes okay i mean like he's pretty like uh he's pretty ferocious yeah you, you i'll could, give you that you could put it that way <laughs> we got some hard feelings over here uh okay i mean like dirtiest that, that that's a huge stretch i think there's a plenty of dirtier players out there um but I, there, there's no way to like I, you have to watch that. hours of yeah. highlight videos. Um, Let us know who you think the dirtiest player in the league. I is. really would like to crowdsource this. If yeah. somebody like I would, I want to know what the general consensus is there. Yeah, uh, that'd be great to know because uh, I don't think that, I was surprised by that. I mean, Fabinho, I can see he's a center defensive midfielder. It's his job to tactically foul, but Pep coaches uh, his team to do this. Yeah, rotational fouling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That so is a strategy. It's, it's, yeah, and like, I mean, it's a strategy. I'm not going to say it's gaming the system, mm-hmm. but it's, this is going to sound old. It's not in the spirit of the game. You, you, sure. You, you play to play better than your players, not to play better than the other team. You don't play to, to you know, scare them, or I, mean, I guess you can't play to scare them, but you don't play to injure them. And I think that's partly what City do almost. It's It's just... I don't know. It, it comes from a very personal uh, relationship with the rivalry as a team, I suppose. Like it's been like Liverpool and City for I don't know about five years now. So, watch how teams defend Bukayo Saka because they very much do the same thing with him. Which yeah, is it doesn't help. In the it doesn't help that he's like smaller yeah. and that he can get pushed around like that. Yeah, I mean, like my my contention with them is that they do this every time and the refs don't call it because the whole team's doing it and they can't card the whole team yeah yeah and there's like weird psychological things that probably happen there like i think i don't know i don't know like i I feel like some teams just by way of how they play they just get away with some things that other teams don't and like it's just like it is what it is but yeah, I mean, I certainly had my gripes with how the officiating was uh, handled this season. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I just saw the Barcelona scoreline, folks. It is not good for Real Madrid at the moment. Um, but, yeah, how the officiating is gone in some of our matches against, the, I would say, bigger six, uh, big six, but, you know, top three teams. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's one of those realities, I suppose. I, I'm still trying to even... Sadio Mane being the dirtiest player. So, okay, but here's here's some <laughs> stuff. Salah is the most uncalled player in terms of being fouled. He's constantly <clears throat> fouled and he's never called. There was actually like mm-hmm. a piece that came out about Mohamed Salah being fouled consistently and the refs just don't call it. I think, so like, I, I think like one of those things, and it's like, the, it, it's like the working in the opposite direction for City, but like how you said, they do it so much that they can't call it all the time. Yeah. I think it's the thing with, with Salah is that if they called it all the time, then they would constantly just be sending players off. You know, it's like in football where it's like, you can't call holding on every play, even though it happens on every play. I guess, but yeah, I mean, like I understand the spirit of why you can't, cause like then it would, the game would just never flow. Yeah, exactly. And that's fair. But if like there was a chart of like players that were fouled per minute, 
Mm-hmm. And it was uh, like this grouping here of like, you know, high performing players. Yeah. And way, way out here was Mohamed Salah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like it's, you know, I mean, the attack goes through like, him a lot. I'm not saying to, yeah, I'm not saying to call every single thing, but if you yeah. just call more fouls, just more. Yeah. It's, that's okay because it's a foul and it has to be called. And these are the rules of the game. <laughs> and I know the Premier League sometimes has trouble with that, but it's yeah. calling a foul and saying, hey, you can't go studs up into Salah just because he dribbled by you. That's fine. And maybe Sadio Mane gets a yellow card. I don't know. We have to see about that. We have, our, we have to have our analysts investigate Watch that. Sadio Mane contest for a ball in the air and you'll see it. Okay. You'll see it. Um, yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I think like, yeah, Salah could definitely draw like way more fouls than, than he gets. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, cause like, just think th- he's a talented player. He like very much strikes fear in opposing defenders, minds and hearts. Um, and so he's going to get them into situations where they're uncomfortable. They might make a rash choice and like, yeah, like those things should be called. Um, and we know that premier league officiating is very much like, Sometimes the letter of the law, sometimes the spirit of the law, sometimes yeah. neither, sometimes both. So it's really hard to say like why this happens. With There's probably no also bias against which, him yeah. as being like a non English non English player. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah, not being a nice English boy. Looking at you guys. <laughs> Refs. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I mean obviously we've heard the cases and obviously mine is better, so we can just call it here. <laughs> Last topic for today, and we're running a bit over, which I, why should I be surprised? Surprise, um, surprise. The international break, everyone. Oh the God. fourth and fi- the fifth and final international break. How exciting and not nerve wracking at all. The I United- feel so positive. The, the men's team has announced their roster. They have, uh, they, they've picked the boys up. They, they put the list out and they're getting the band back together. They have a, I think a 26 man roster. And this is for the final three games for World Cup qualifying, for CONCACAF. We have Mexico away on March 24th. We host Panama on March 27th, and we go away to Costa Rica on March 30th. We have uh, some familiar faces that will be missing due to injury or uh, lack of form, some new uh, guys, and, you know, the old crew, uh, all of them coming together. Most notably, Serginho Dest was originally announced as a, a roster member for this final international break, but he was injured in the game on the day it was announced, and so he's not going to be here. No worries. I would like to express my displeasure with the Latin language for letting me down. <laughs> When I read that he had a biceps femoris injury, I was like, he injured his bicep? Like, that's a weird injury for a soccer player on the arm. And come to find out, that's the hamstring. Now, I know what you're thinking. Femoris, femur, like, you're stupid. And, yeah, maybe that's that's <laughs> true. That's definitely true. I am stupid. But, like, biceps femoris. Come on. Come on. Hamstring was obviously a much better name for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm that's a- not your biceps for more. It's not your hamstring. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know what any of that means. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to go through the goalkeepers right now. Ethan Horvath, Nottingham Forest, just played today against Liverpool in the FA Cup. Liverpool went through. Uh, Sean Johnson, uh, New York City FC, starting goalkeeper, recent MLS Cup uh, champion. And Zach Steffen, uh, backup keeper to Man City. Reggie Cannon for Boa Vista, 
Aaron Long for the Red Bulls, the New York Red Bulls, I should say. Eric Palmer Brown, a unfamiliar face probably to most of you, uh, has had two appearances since 2018 for the United States. He is a center back who plays for recently promoted side Troy in Ligue 1. And we have Jedi Robinson at Fulham, Miles Robinson at Atlanta United, James Sands, recent signee for Rangers, DeAndre Yedlin, recent signee for Inter-Miami, he's back in the States, and Walker Zimmerman for Nashville. In the midfield, Kelly Nacosta, a recent signee for LAFC, Tyler Adams at Leipzig, Gianluca Busio for Venezia, Luca de Tor for Heracles, Yunus uh, Musa for Valencia, and Christian Roldan for the Sounders. In our offensive line, we have uh, Brendan Aronson, who has, uh, I think, just been injured uh, for Salzburg. Knee troubles from the sounds of it. So we'll see about that. <sighs> Paul Ariola for FC Dallas. Uh, Jesus Ferreira for FC Dallas. Jordan Morris for the Sounders. P-Folk for Young Boys. Pepe for Augsburg. Pulisic for Chelsea. Reyna, he's back, baby, for Dortmund. And Tim Weah for Lille. <sighs> Take a breath, Jacob. Take a uh, breath. Uh, I... One, I'd like to express my displeasure at the human hamstring, uh, delicate, fickle, and able to destroy seasons in a single bound. Yes. And the state at which the United States men's national team finds itself. We are tied, points-wise, with Mexico. We only are above them on goal difference currently, and we sit a pretty four points behind Canada in first place. We are four points ahead of Panama in the playoff fourth place. This is not a situation the U.S. wants to find itself because we have to play Mexico and Panama and Costa Rica with probably, I want to say, one of our most debilitated squads so far. Yeah, it's not ideal conditions to be going into the break with, for sure. I would like to hear your thoughts uh, before I start talking myself into a spiral. It's nerve-wracking. I mean, like, looking in, kind of looking back to front, right, you know, um, we know that uh, uh, Miles Robinson has been struggling a bit at Atlanta United. He has gotten off to a pretty slow start, and he looked like a nailed-on starting center back for us. I think he probably still is, but uh, hopefully he can regain some form because that is not a good time for him to uh, lose it, as they say. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 worrisome. Uh, you, you want dust. You want dust in the lineup, for sure. So, you know, losing him, I mean, that's those are you know two kind of... Uh, shakeups in, in the in the back line for us that I do not find reassuring to say the least. There's obviously the whole John Brooks thing. He's come out and said that he's going to fight for his spot back in the team, but yep. he is very much not going to be part of it this weekend. It's tough because yeah. I think he's leaving Wolfsburg at this summer too. So yeah, I don't know what his future is anymore. He went from like clear uh, leading center back to I I don't know. Uh, outcast player yeah and then you look in the midfield right i mean weston mckenney being out with the foot injury like we've we've talked about the octagonal and who's played best and and it seems like mckenney's been our, i mean it feels like mckenney's been our best guy for that most of the octagonal so that's obviously a huge blow for us um Raina coming back is that's i mean good timing thankfully but like yeah, that's that's just a big loss. So, yeah, I mean, it's worrisome, man. It's worrisome. Playing in Mexico City without some of yeah, these guys, yeah. it does not feel good. <laughs> I feel almost the most nervous for the Panama game, even though we're hosting. Um, if we lose points, if Panama win, I think that's the biggest blow for us. That would be disastrous, yeah. Um, and I do not, I do not. At this point, I am hoping for a second or third place finish. 
If we yeah. finish fourth, I uh, I think that's probably like... Oh, nightmare scenario. Yeah. I mean, the good news for us is that Panama play both us and Canada. Um, so, like, theoretically, that's a difficult weekend. But, I mean, yeah, it's still just a, a very nervy weekend. <laughs> to, to the, the, the octagonal, ladies and gentlemen, anything can still happen. Any place up here in the top four is still up for grabs. Um, Canada <laughs> could capitulate. We could all capitulate. Everything could go, you know... Anything can happen. El Salvador could finish first. No, they couldn't. But they like. But what if they did? Um, but what if they did? <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest loss is McKenney. Clearly, I mean, like he has a broken foot, which is just so bad. Um, yeah. And it's like it's not even like his. Uh, it's not his skill set. I'm even worried about. It's just the 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 personality he brings to the team. Mm-hmm. He's he's such a strong character, and he he's. You know, uh, he's doing the on the field things that you need a captain to do, or at least a leading member. He'll help players up. He'll talk to the ref. He'll try and keep everyone cool. Uh, and the, it's this attitude that he brings, I think, that really calmed the U.S. down um, when they're, you know, f- when they're rocky during during the games. And um, you know, Christian Pulisic is our is our captain um, as as the I guess the most skilled member of the squad, but. I think that uh, McKenney is the biggest uh, mental presence on the field personally. And I could be wrong about that because this is me watching the TV. I mean, watching what's happening and watching uh, Waka videos. But uh, it's it's mostly just that, that feeling I get when I see McKenney in a starting lineup. It's like, okay, good. We got our box-to-box midfielder in, and we're missing him now. And I, I genuinely don't know how we're going to replace him. I know Tyler Adams is our clear center defensive midfielder, and I want to see Yunus Musa in, 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 you know, on the left attacking. And... I don't feel good about killing Acosta. So you just know it's going to be Acosta. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I know Greg loves him, and I, I, I just want to talk to him and ask why. Um, I just want to know, Greg. Uh, Seen some good, some good comp, comp videos. I mean, I don't get a chance to watch. We don't get a chance to watch all these guys play, you know, each week or really yeah. that frequently. So it's kind of hard to give a, a tactical reading on them. But like, I've seen some good comps of Luca Della de, de Torre. Yeah, and um, he did good last break. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's an option. The good news for us is like Pulisic, who we still recognize is probably like our highest ceiling, most talented player, is coming into some form and coming into the break on that. We were talking yeah. about last break, like, you know, what do we need to do to like, you know, what should you do to get Christian going again? And it, you know, it seems like a string of, uh, I mean, of starts and some that, goals yeah. is going to be really helpful. Uh, thank the, the maker. Because I, I mean, like Pulisic is hot. He's... I mean, he's he's had a very good string of performances for Chelsea. Uh, he's cemented himself as a starter, I think, for uh, Tuchel's side. And he, uh, I mean, like, thankfully, because Lukaku is just, you know, shit at the moment. Um, excuse me. Lukaku is out of form at the moment. And uh, Timo <laughs> Werner has found himself as a sub or just a squad player now. And um, Pulisic drops deep and helps with the buildup, which is great. Uh, and I think um, if Brendan Aronson can get in, I, we need Brendan Aronson. Absolutely. Uh, he, he's the other guy that I clearly want. So if we can get a Pulisic, Aronson, Reina front three, I'll feel a little bit better. And uh, a noticeable absence in, in this one, Jacob. Who? In our forward line. Tell me. Oh, uh, notable, noticeable absence in our forward line. Um, I know that. Sorry, my computer just shut down. 
a notable, a noticeable. You do not like this man. <laughs> uh, I know, guys. He's artist. He's is not missing there. <laughs> from the lineup, and it's been glorious. And I really think that um, I'm not. I was told by someone earlier uh, to not um, be, you know, just to be more uh, positive, positive on the on the podcast, constructive, perhaps. Yeah. So, I I think that uh, Zardis is uh, a great uh, target man. Uh, he is someone who you want on the end of a cross or a long ball upfield. Yep. The U.S. does that a lot. And if we can get Polisic and now Reyna to uh, drop back and start doing more build-up play, I think that'll be more positive for the team. So I think Reyna, Reyna – I'm getting all these guys mixed up. Uh, I'm, I think it was since Zardes is a bit um, – which is a bit of a trough right now at the crew. And I think he's on the way out uh, currently uh, that, I mean, like Burhalter, Burhalter, let's be clear. He monitors these guys 24 seven. He watches every game. Um, you know, we don't. So I'm yeah. not going to claim to know more than Burhalter. I just find his decisions puzzling. Um, I think, I think uh, Peppy getting chosen is a bit of a surprise. He's hasn't really reached a stride at Osberg yet. Yeah. He's really struggled there. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that transfer. We've watched a few games of his, and like Augsburg struggle at the whole goal scoring thing and yep. the whole ball progression thing. So, yeah, that's a tough. I mean, that, that in hindsight, like it was exciting that he was getting into a Bundesliga side and it was a big money transfer, but like it probably wasn't a great move for him in sort of. I guess if you want to talk about like soft factor things, just sort of like mentality. Like I feel like the young guy, like he just needs to like see the ball go on the net every now and then to like kind of feel like he's growing and he's just not getting yeah, it. Yeah, if he can get a goal or just like something it's going and now he's more of a sub. So um, I know Osberg could, took a gamble on him, $20 million uh, expensive yeah. signing, especially for a side like Osberg, but it's, yeah. it's going to be uh, something that he has to do, you know? Jordan Pifolk banging goals for young boys. Yeah, though. I don't know why. goals and 23 appearances for them. Maybe he'll start. I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it. I've, I mean, we've been seeing him, you know, uh, just, yeah, Jordan Pifolk scored another goal. And I it's mean, like, huh, yeah. okay. Bert Holter loves a target guy. So yeah. if, if he starts Pifolk, I wouldn't be mad. You know, maybe get Reyna on as a sub because he's, you know, been trying to ease back in, which makes sense. I think that'd be fine. Maybe Aronson gets on as a sub because he's got a knock now. Um, let's, let's see Horvath or Stefan. Um, probably Stefan. I, I, Stefan had a bit of a, a blunder today, uh, in, against Southampton though, really poor positioning ended up leading to a goal. Um, didn't shroud himself in glory there. It was also an own goal though. <laughs> yeah. It was cause it went off Laporte who yeah. like, yeah, also didn't do a great job, but, um, yeah, probably still Stefan, but like tentatively, I guess. <laughs> P-Folk, sorry, to correct myself, has 17 goals and 26 matches played. So, pretty good return. That's still great. And still three assists great. to kick in. Um, yeah, I think I'd agree. I think I'd prefer Horvath uh, just based on just, you know, he's getting minutes. He's, he's getting consistent minutes now uh, that he's uh, been starting for Nottingham Forest. Um, and, frankly, you know, it's doing a, a cup keeper. Uh, I think physically, Stefan is bigger. Um, but you know, it's all about mostly about positioning with keeping. So, um, and, and like Horvath had a great performance in the, uh, CONCACAF nations league. And I mean, that's so good. I think that's, was his last time. Who's better at distribution. I mean, Stefan's got a great pass, but 
the U.S. loves build-up play. I don't know. Frankly, I'm... Uh, oh, you know, that's what I was going to do in the intro, uh, where three Americans try to figure out uh, why Arsenal haven't p- given Matt Turner any minutes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't honestly know what or vast distributions. Like, I, I haven't watched any of Nottingham Forest. I, yeah, I, <laughs> keen watchers have said that he's gotten a decent run in with them because their starting goalie is injured. But yeah, I don't, I don't watch, watch Nottingham Forest either. So, other than the beautiful, beautiful performance in the Nations League, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, no, he had a great. I mean, like the mental stress to do that. I think like going in cold and then do a penalty shootout. I, I, I you can't practice for that so it's it's really yeah. nice to see him able to handle that uh even you know as a i at this point tertiary keeper because once matt turner is healthy obviously he's first choice now so um you want to talk about the, let's talk about the back line i think everyone agrees uh robinson jedi robinson at left back yes um miles robinson at left center back uh walker zimmerman at right center back and the right back is where we find ourselves at a question mark so we've got Reggie Cannon or DeAndre Yedlin, basically. Um, if I recall correctly, Reggie Cannon did did all right. Has done all right for us. I don't mind him. The right back, he's, he's yeah. a good depth signing. And signing, good, good depth player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, got him on a on a free. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, between Yedlin and and Cannon, um, flip a coin, I guess. I I, I maybe prefer Cannon slightly, but. It's just kind of like a yeah. He, there's less. There, he's more of an unknown to me, so maybe that's why. Cannon's but. young. He's like 20, I think. Yeah. Uh, Yedlin is older. He's experienced. He can just get a bit. Uh, he can lose his head a bit. Um, he can get aggressive. Like maybe you start him. Uh, at, like I know, think Scott. start Yedlin for Mexico. Yeah, that's what I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Get, get the, uh, the He's not afraid to get in their faces, and I I want. I want uh, Mexico riled up. Yeah. I want them to be aggressive and to not think straight. Um, I'm glad Hector Herrera is not featuring in the Mexico game because he has too many yellows. So Mm. this is going to be great. Dang. It was sarcasm. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I wouldn't mind seeing Eric Palmer Brown get a start maybe against Costa Rica, but I don't want him starting against Mexico or Panama because the games are too big. Reggie Cannon is 23 years old, by the way. Oh, wow. Way older than I thought. He's so old. <laughs> well, you know, we've got a we've got such a young squad that I just assume everyone's like seventeen. Uh, yeah, anything to add here? I think generally the podcast feels nervous. The podcast feeling yeah feels nervous uh, and hesitant, and I, I mean I'm probably I'm probably gonna go to a bar somewhere, which will just heighten the nerves because everyone will be noisy. So. I don't know. So much can go wrong, but so much can go right. And I think that's what we want to be thinking about. And that's the American spirit. <laughs> can you feel it? <laughs> feel the Dude, holy shit. Advertising just works on me so well. <laughs> so many advertisements bouncing around my head. It's insane. Yeah. Look at Gazzy's artist's name and forget it two seconds later, but then I can remember like <laughs> Pennzoil commercials from 2006. Like, oh my God. I, I think I'll always remember, because uh, my parents listened to the radio a lot when I was younger, because we, you know, you're driving. So yeah. um, I always remember the Speedway commercials. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the convenience of Speedway. Yeah. 
or the going to the fair, going to the fair, going, <laughs> going to the Northwest North Michigan, Michigan Fair. fair. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never got that. Yeah, it's, it was probably a, more of a Northern Michigan thing, but yeah. <laughs> Cam, Cam was talking to me about it. He's like, you don't remember that commercial? I was like, no. And then he played it. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> just unlocked it. <Yeah. laughs> like five years of childhood just like flooded yeah. that movie. I got to make oh. some calls. So much pain that I've forgotten. <laughs> I blocked this out. That's why I don't have a foot. <laughs> uh, anything to add, Blair? Uh, no, I don't think I have anything else to add. Oh, go St. Peter's, by the way. Yeah. The Jersey City Wonders. Standing at the gates of heaven, as you might say. <laughs> okay the jersey boys <laughs> the jersey boys baby they're back at it uh maddie anything to close with add nothing besides the usual what's that you should rate the podcast leave us a nice comment follow us on all of the social medias we've got twitter we all have twitter now made a twitter for this podcast so you're welcome world What's your Twitter handle, Maddie? Uh, at Maddie, M-A-D-D-I-E underscore Gaylor, G-A-L-E-R. Uh, yeah, we are The Plastics Pod on Twitter. We're Plastics Podcast on Instagram. And, I mean, that's pretty much it. You can email yeah. us, but or D- DM me. DM, DM Jacob. DM, DM me DM with Sadia Mane highlight videos. It's going down in the DMs. Uh, and I wish if you could, um, we're going to make a reel about the Sadio Mane, and I want people to comment on who they think the dirtiest Premier League player is. I would just want to hear people's opinions. Like, not even, like, don't, you don't, it doesn't have to be factually based. I just want to hear, because, like, different fans see different things. Mm-hmm. So, like, everyone's going to have, like, a different angle on it. So, mm-hmm. I, I want to see who sticks out to them as the dirtiest player. And I'm sure there's going to be a long, long list. So... <laughs> Um, that I, I just want to see that and we can make an assemblage and see, you know, how these guys are working. Here's what I'll say. My distaste for Saudi Omane absolutely comes from him slapping the shit out of my team regularly. <laughs> um, and it annoys me. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and really like three isolated incidents that have occurred in those games, um, where I thought he was making a very physical play that I did not appreciate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's the dirtiest player in the league, but I do not like playing against him and, yeah, find him to be very physical. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious what people think, too. I can't even really think of players off the top of my head that I would call, like, dirty, per se. And, like, I don't want to, like, say that Sadio's dirty. I just think he's made a few plays against us that I have found to be... Um, I don't know. I just didn't didn't like to see. So, yeah, um, I would be really curious to see what people think of as the dirtiest player in the league. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna come back uh, next episode with dirtiest players because this is actually kind of fun to talk about because it's all opinion based and it's just like you know how I felt when my team got tackled by this one guy repeatedly or you know the guy shoved off the another player and it wasn't called or Rodri did a handball in the box and somehow got away with it so Fernandinho comes to mind now that I think about other city players uh, some might say Grand Checa <laughs> and you know what I wouldn't argue you know what I don't think he's the dirtiest I just think he, he's clumsy uh, yeah he's clumsy, he's clumsy. He's clumsy. <laughs> that's a good way to put it Okay, uh, Plastics Pod on Twitter. The pl- Plastics Pod, the, the Plastics, Plastics Pod, Pod, the Plastics Pod on Twitter. Plastics Podcast on Instagram. Uh, that's us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, being here, guys. And we will see you next week with an international break episode. Hopefully, in high spirits. Fingers crossed. 
come on USA. Cheers. Uh, Luis Suarez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Roy Keane.